Hi, I'm Mary C. Curtis, and this is Equal Time. With its 32nd anniversary this year, the Americans with Disabilities Act has become a part of the fabric of this country. But has America become complacent? While the ADA has inspired the world to see disability through the lens of equity, opening opportunities for persons with disabilities to contribute to our global progress, there is room for improvement. From creating more consistency for academic accommodations to providing more employment opportunities for people with disabilities, what needs to be done in the next 32 years and beyond? Our equal time guests have ideas. Nicole Patton is the manager of state government relations at the National Down Syndrome Society. She works to execute the advocacy vision and government relations strategy at the state level. Her passion for disability rights was born when her youngest brother, Chris, was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Charlotte Woodward is the education program associate for the National Down Syndrome Society, where she supports the development of education-related resources and educational policy initiatives. Charlotte was born with Down syndrome, as well as a heart condition, and had four open-heart surgeries when she was young. She is one of the very few people born with Down syndrome to receive a life-saving heart transplant. Charlotte holds an associate degree from Northern Virginia Community College and recently graduated summa cum laude from George Mason University with a bachelor's degree in sociology with a concentration in inequality and social change. Welcome to Equal Time, Nicole and Charlotte. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. So to start, with the 32nd anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, how far have we come as a nation in regards to disabilities rights? And what are some of the issues we still fall short on? Do you want to take a crack at that first, Charlotte? Uh, Sure. Well, there has been a good deal of progress, but um, our nation still hasn't lived up to our country's ideals. Uh, We, um, as the National Down Syndrome Society, uh, which is a leading uh, human rights organization for all people with Down syndrome, want uh, freedom, liberty, justice, and equality for all people with Down syndrome. Right, Nicole? That's right, Charlotte. And uh, Nicole, what would you say uh, are some of the signs of progress that has been made, but also some of the issues that we can still do some hard work on as a country? Yeah. So there's no debate that the Americans with Disabilities Act was a foundational piece of legislation that broadened the scope of disability inclusion within our society. Uh But we see oftentimes that the public's perception of the Americans with Disabilities Act is physical disability focused. Uh, People will typically point to, you know, curb lips and, you know, ADA accessible parking spots. But there isn't a lot of discussion about how individuals with intellectual developmental disabilities fall under the rights of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, And we've even seen some legislation over the last few years to chip away protections that the ADA provides. Uh, Thankfully, they didn't pass, uh, but they've gotten pretty further along in the legislator than they should have. You know, and we'll definitely talk a little bit more about work that we are doing at the National Down Syndrome Society to broaden the scope of the ADA. But those are just some of the things we kind of see um, here at NBSS. Well, Nicole, can you tell me, follow up by telling me a little bit about your work and how you see what are the main things that you need to work on in, in what you do on a day-to-day basis? 
Yeah, absolutely. So as my esteemed uh, colleague Charlotte mentioned, NDSS is the leading human rights organization for all individuals with Down syndrome. And our policy work falls through, you know, a human rights perspective. Um, so uh, we have uh, three different, com- our organization has three different components that uh, we fall under resources and support for families, for caregivers, public information, and across the lifespan community engagement. Our community is the heart of NDSS and everything that we do focuses on the Down syndrome community. And where I fall under is our advocacy and public policy program. So I work on our state and local policy initiatives that will positively impact the lives of all people with Down syndrome. Uh, we do this through grassroots advocacy, through with Congress and federal agencies, state and local officials. Our organization wants to develop and improve laws and regulations um, and policies for people with Down syndrome and their families. So, um, and like the rest of our work, it, it spans the life experience starting from birth all the way up into adulthood. Great. And I just want to break in and say, we'll be saying NDSS a lot, which stands for the <laughs> National Down Syndrome Society. So to make that clear to our listeners, uh, Charlotte, what is the bulk of the work that you do in your job with NDSS? Well, I am currently the education program associate. I work to uh, raise awareness uh, of issues regarding the Down syndrome community, um, especially when it comes to uh, educating those in society, uh, uh, um, especially that of uh, teachers in school to have high expectations instead of uh, low expectations, which is seen as one of the many barriers to inclusion. Thank you. Now, we know that businesses are legally required to follow the Americans with Disabilities Act, but there are always ways to comply, let's say, with these regulations by just doing enough, the bare minimum. So how can corporations become better allies and advocates for disabilities rights? Do you want to take that first, Nicole? Sure, yeah. So there is a lot of talk from employers that they'll hire people with disabilities, and that is a huge initiative, um, you know, for, for employers that they are looking to hire people with disabilities, but there's not enough talk on professional development. Um, you know, what we want to see is the promotion, the advancement, you know, career um, growth of individuals with Down syndrome and other disabilities within, within the workplace. They should be educating their staff of not just, you know, uh, their career development, but inclusion. Um, oftentimes it, it could be pretty alienating if there's only one person with a disability within the workplace. So educating staff, ensuring uh, inclusivity of the individual with a disability um, in their communities, with their vendors as well, educating vendors about uh, their relationship with the disability community, and again, promoting inclusion. Those are all really worthy goals. Now, Charlotte, I know you have some thoughts on this issue as well. We talked earlier and you talked about capitalism, exploitation, and the sub-minimum wage, which all comes into this issue. Well, I want to start off by saying that when I was born, uh, the doctors told my mom and dad that I might never learn to read or write and that my future uh, would be one uh, working in a sheltered workshop. Now, these uh, sheltered workshops can uh, legally pay their em- employees uh, less than minimum wage. That means pennies on the hour. 
and that is a very gross injustice, especially in the 21st century, you would think that that would be an issue that would be in the past, but it's not. And, and, and like I said in my Good Morning America interview, um, it's the 21st century. We shouldn't have to be fighting for uh, inclusion in, in the workplace. Yeah, we thought those sweatshop days were behind us, yeah, right, Charlotte? Right. But it's not just that. Uh, going back to uh, 1938, um, there was something in place called the uh, Fair Labor Standards Act, and it, and that gives uh, these uh, sheltered workshops uh, as a power to uh, pay their uh, employees a uh, sub-minimum wage through the handing out of 14C certificates. Now, the, now NDSS has uh, legislation that we are doing our best to push and pass called Transformation into Competitive Integrated Employment Act, which, uh, which will phase out these uh, 14C certificates. Well, Nicole, can you name any corporations that are positive examples of allies and advocates for disability inclusion efforts, uh, places that show what can be done and what success looks like? Yeah, so there's this um, the CEO Commission for Disability Employment. Uh, their purpose and their work is to be a source of resource and information and actionable steps and advocacy opportunities for companies to recruit and onboard individuals with disabilities into their organizations. So the, C- the CEO Commission um, is com- compromised of CEOs who have dedicated uh, their work to hiring individuals with disabilities and working with employers and uh, setting goals for one another to, you know, hire people with disabilities, create this, you know, this pipeline of career advancement and employment. Um, and they are, their goal is to advance disability inclusive employment and inspire engaging businesses, uh, leaders, and to drive policy practice and change and culture within the workplace. So they've been doing a fantastic job. Those are some positive steps. Thank you. The Charlotte Woodward Organ Transplant Discrimination Prevention Act was introduced to Congress in February of 2021 and to the Senate in December of 2021. So can you tell us a little bit about the process of getting this bill introduced into the House and Senate? And I think we can have a good start by Charlotte telling us your own story. Well, when I was born... I was born with congenital heart condition, and I had four open heart surgeries to uh, fix it. Three when I was a baby, and one when I was 10 years old. Um, As I grew, my heart couldn't keep up with the rest of my body, so I would have uh, fainting spells, during which I would collapse. And that was one of the factors that led my doctors to decide that I'd be a good candidate for a heart transplant, which I ultimately got on January 30th, 2012. Now, that may seem like a a rosy picture, a a positive picture of of a success story. However, um, there are other uh, people with uh, disabilities, especially those with Down syndrome, um, that uh, I don't have uh, 
a good positive outcome. Uh, too often, uh, we see a lot of discretion and, and bias in doctors' decisions when it, when it comes to making uh, making a, a, a life-changing uh, decisions. And that is found, found when they are referred to a transplant team, and sometimes transplant teams themselves um, can also uh, be discriminatory too. Uh, uh, the good news uh, is that uh, this bill you mentioned will uh, eliminate that dis- discrimination. And like you said, uh, it was introduced uh, in February 2020, then reintroduced last year in 2021. And we got a big push around the uh, reintroduction in uh, 2021 by um, by a uh, tragic story, uh, a baby named Zion, born in Florida. Uh, uh, we don't know if he was discriminated against, but he was basically denied a heart transplant. He had five open heart sh- surgeries to try to save him, but he died. Wow, that must be just a terrible feeling to know that a human being can arbitrarily uh, have a decision of life or death and quality of life. Yeah. And unfortunately, as um, you know, Charlotte mentioned, baby Zion isn't the only story we've heard of instances of discrimination uh, in the Down syndrome and the wider disability community when it comes to organ transplant discrimination. Uh, it's why we've started this initiative. Um, our organization really started a big push back in uh, 2017, uh, an individual with Down syndrome who had a dual diagnosis of autism was denied an organ transplant in California uh, due to his disability. So our organization worked um, with, his name was James Wellman, and we worked with the Wellman family to um, procure an organ for him. And, you know, they found a donor and, you know, they eventually went through with the transplant. But, um, you know, our big push started back in 2017 with the Wellman family. And, you know, we've been working um, at the state level on this initiative for the last couple of years, uh, passing we're about 34 state bills in um, right now, which is very exciting. And now, you know, but we, we, we realize that this can be an interstate commerce, you know, organs go over state lines um, every day, you know, to, to people who need them. And, you know, that's why we're working at the federal level as well to ensure the right that individuals with Down syndrome and other disabilities, that they will receive a life-saving transplant um, and not be discriminated against because of their diagnosis. Wow. It really shows how that advocacy can really work to make change. So that's a great example of that. Now, when we spoke, Charlotte, a quote of yours really resonated uh, with me, and it's when you were speaking about all the obstacles thrown up in the field of education and remedying inequities. You said, accept people for who they are and not the diagnosis. So how has that affected your journey to earning a sociology degree? Uh, You had to fight just to be able to access the curriculum needed. Uh, Yes, you're right. I did have to fight to be able to access the general education curriculum. I do want to point out that that's started when I transitioned from middle school into high school, and I normally 
am not a big fan of this word, but the uh, director of the uh, mental retardation program at my school uh, wanted to put me in a a separate self-contained classroom. And and I educated that that director with the help of my mom um, to help me gain access. And it really just comes down to people assuming uh, what people with disabilities and Notre Dame syndrome can and can't do. Uh, look at me now. I went on to community college, graduated summa cum laude, went on to George Mason University, and graduated at summa cum laude there with a degree in sociology. So that's why no one should underestimate a person with Down syndrome. Well, congratulations. I'm sure you've continued to educate people all through your career and your work and your life. So, And kudos also to your mom for really giving you support. Thank you. Uh, so, Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, and other students are affected by this as well, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Charlotte, you've also talked about how policy can even affect love and marriage and continuing support after that when decisions are made for people with Down syndrome that adversely affect them. Uh, yes, you are correct. Um, I'm really not a, an expert uh, in, uh, in this area. I, I, I will say that you can't buy me love. In, <laughs> uh, in other words, uh, don't put the money before uh, as someone with a disability who is in love. And I'll now pass it over to uh, uh, Nicole for uh, more details. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, as you spoke about, Mary, yes, there are currently policies in place, unfortunately, that don't allow two individuals who have a disability to be able to get married. Um, there's an asset income limit when it comes to federally means tested benefits, uh, Social Security and Medicaid being the two uh, most popular ones. Um, right now, SSI is determined, SSI meaning Social Security income, is determined by using the income of both spouses. Um, to be eligible for SSI as a single individual, uh, you can only have $2,000 in assets, whereas for a married couple, that is $3,000. Um, so we're, we've been working on legislation called the Marriage Access for People with Special Abilities Act, which would allow two individuals with an intellectual and developmental disability be able to get married. And, their individu- and their, that would allow two individuals with an intellectual and developmental disability be able to get married and only be based on uh, an individual's income and not their spouse's. Um, you know, unfortunately, we see uh, oftentimes that people will choose to get married. They can lose their benefits. Um, you know, living with a disability is incredibly expensive. Um, and people in, in the disability community rely on SSI um, as income when they can't work because if you can only have $2,000 in assets, um, you can't save money, um, you, you need that supplemental security income to be able to pay for a variety of expenses, you know, whether that's, you know, rent, medication, transportation, et cetera. That's a heck of a choice to ask folks to make between being able to live and get falling in love and getting married. That's nobody else is really asked to make that choice. Uh, so, Nicole, continuing, I know that NDSS has found great success levering social media with their TikTok campaign. 
kind of bringing us up to the present and meeting people where they are. So can you tell us a little bit about the origins of this campaign? And are there any other campaigns you're currently working on that you'd like to highlight? Sure, yeah. Uh, This campaign started at a really interesting time. Um, So during the peak of COVID in early 2020, um, TikTok was an entirely new platform and wasn't really being utilized by a lot of the general public, much less organizations. At that time, I was using the platform for personal reasons, and I saw a lot of the information sharing success that that the platform had. Um, You know, we've been seeing the rise of Generation Z and, and, you know, their uh, their contributions to the world and making positive uh, public policy changes, you know, and we thought that this could be an opportunity to educate this generation on the inequities that people with Down syndrome face. So there was a trend going around at this time. It was two people uh, looking at each other, uh, one of those people being you, the viewer, and the other person would be the, the person in the camera. Uh, these two people would be waving at each other and they would be sharing some kind of common interest. So uh, with the help of my colleague, we had put together a TikTok and it was just two people um, looking at each other who believe people with Down syndrome should have equal rights. Um, And the TikTok garnered over 800,000 views. Um, And there were so many comments, you know, in this TikTok asking, you know, what do you mean people with Down syndrome don't have equal rights? Uh, So, you know, we did a follow-up to that uh, to highlight, you know, some of the various policies that we've talked about. Um, I had the help of another colleague. Uh, There was another trend going around at this time. It was a put a finger down challenge. So uh, the put a finger down challenge would be uh, you, the viewer, would watch um, the person creating, creating the video saying, put a finger down if you relate to this. So... Um, my colleague Adrian, he would put a finger down, you know, put a finger down if you are legally allowed to be paid some minimum wage. Um, and with the idea that you, the viewer would keep your finger up, but Adrian would put his finger down, you know, the next one would be put a finger down if, uh, you can get married without losing your benefits and, you know, et cetera. So at the end of the challenge, all of Adrian's fingers down and you, the viewer would, would assumably have all of your fingers up. Um, and that also garnered over 2 million views on the platform. Wow. That made it really relatable. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think one of the most important things about the TikTok platform is that you want the, you want the viewer to relate to your content, even if they're not some, even if that person isn't experiencing what this individual is going through, this is a conversation between the two of you, you, my colleague, you and my colleague with Down syndrome sharing and, you know, experiences with one another. You know, our strategy was really just to get the information out there. We wanted to educate people on what these inequities are. Uh, eventually, we pushed them towards, you know, uh, they, because they had said, oh, my goodness, I can't believe these things are happening. What can I do? Um, so we would push them to our advocacy campaigns, you know, write your member of Congress, write your senator and tell them to support this legislation that will address this certain issue. And, yeah, that's kind of how our, our campaign started. Yeah, that's pretty ingenious. So, Charlotte, you have to tell me, how did you become a TikTok celebrity? (laughs) Well, I would like to uh, start off by saying that that my TikTok campaign started out with a TikTok video called Things That Don't Make Sense. And in it, I talked about four different uh, issues. I talked about uh, sub 
minimum wage, law enforcement issues, especially uh, when it comes to the tragic death of, of Ethan Saylor. I also talked about organ transplantation and and the SSI marriage pe- penalty. And that went on to, uh, to garner a lot of views, a 4.4 million, I might add. Oh, my and goodness. That led me to, to have a lot of interviews. I was interviewed by USA Today, In the Know, BuzzFeed, and Good Morning America. And that, uh, that uh, campaign trend that Nicole was talking about, the whole put your uh, uh, fingers down if you can, uh, this, this, or that, was actually uh, uh, shown uh, in, uh, in that uh, Good Morning America film I did. Well, that's great. Now, you mentioned uh, when you were speaking about elevating the case of Ethan Saylor. So if you could just uh, tell our listeners briefly, and we've talked about this, about uh, his case. Well, Ethan Saylor is, uh, or I should say, uh, uh, Ethan Saylor was a young white man with Down syndrome who had wanted to see a movie in, uh, in a movie theater for the second time, um, but he was uh, taken out of the uh, movie theater, I think by a, a police officer, correct me if I'm wrong, Nicole, and, and uh, was attacked by a, a police brutality, and he died. And it, it's just a horrible uh, uh, scenario, and it, and it's why the National Down Syndrome Society has the law enforcement laws on the uh, on our uh, policy agenda. Yeah, I think I think the the person uh, was an off duty. Uh, deputy that was working as a security guard, I do believe were the details, but go on, Nicole. Yeah, that's correct. Um, Mary. Yeah. I just wanted to kind of add on a little bit to the story. So yeah, mm-hmm. Ethan Saylor, as Charlie mentioned, uh, was a young man with Down syndrome. He went to go back into the movie theater to see Zero Dark 30 at this time uh, when the off-duty off, uh, sheriff uh, came into the movie theater and said, son, you need to leave. Um, and Ethan would not comply because he wanted to see the movie again. Now, when it comes to individuals with Down syndrome and other disabilities, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, there, there's mis- there's miscommunication that could happen. Right. You know, it wasn't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't that Ethan was being disobedient. He just really wanted to see this movie again. And he could not express to this officer that he wanted to see it. Um, and unfortunately, uh, you know, he had a, a direct support professional, somebody who came with him, you know, helped uh assisted him out in the community, she had gone around to go pull out the car, pull up the car so that they could leave the theater. Um, and that's when Ethan kind of snuck back into the theater to go to try to see it again. Um, you know, so when uh, the sheriff had come in, you know, his support person wasn't there. Uh, the miscommunication happened. You know, there was physical um, and no physical altercation where the sheriff tried to pull Ethan out of the theater. Uh, tried to restrain him, and it unfortunately led to his untimely death. Yeah, these are cases that we see do happen sometimes. It's just miscommunication when folks have disabilities. And so, yeah, I, I'm very happy that you highlighted this case, which it, which happened in my home state of Maryland, actually. So thank you. These are things that we can all get educated 
more about these issues. So I always, when I have two very interesting guests on, and I know you work together, so this might be a little bit of a challenge, but what question would you most like to ask one another? Well, if you don't mind, Nicole, I am going to ask uh, you uh, my question, which is, what brings you the most satisfaction of working at the National Down Syndrome Society? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, what brings me the most satisfaction is working with, you know, individuals like you, Charlotte, and working with our with people with Down syndrome and hearing from the community about the issues that they face and how we as an organization can take these stories and, you know, create solutions to, you know, change lives and impact lives. So um, I'm so honored and blessed every day to work with you, Charlotte, because you always keep me on my toes and you always have something so incredible to say, um, to add to the conversation. So, you know, I think that's probably the biggest, the biggest positive and the thing that brings me the most satisfaction of working at NDSS. That was a great question. So Nicole, you, Charlotte set a high bar. (laughs) What question do you have for her? Okay. So I do, I have a question for you and I want to know what is one thing you want people to know about having Down syndrome? Well, having Down syndrome um, is just a part of who I am, um, and I would uh, uh, never change a single thing about it. Um, I like having a disability, and I am just glad and grateful I get to uh, give back to my community. What is a lesson that you think you have learned or something you have noticed in the world that you think you might not have noticed if you did not have a disability? Hmm. Well, I wouldn't have gone on to take uh, sociology courses at George Mason University. And if I hadn't been aware of the larger uh, systemic structural uh, issues, uh, not just those going on in society, but also the the systemic structural issues uh, surrounding the disability community, I would have um, just been uh, focused on on my uh, personal lived experience, which is yet uh, another barrier to accessing uh, things like uh, belonging and inclusion in society. Uh, and that's why we need to educate uh, uh, people in society to work beyond their own uh, lived ex- lived experiences and see the lived experiences of people with disabilities. Thank you. That's a great insight that you've shared. And I also always ask my guests, because I can't think of every question, what question have I not asked that I should have because there's an issue that you want to highlight? that we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, I think one thing too that we, you know, that we we haven't really highlighted, but that I want to vaguely kind of touch on is the use of kind of person, person first language. Um, and we don't want to speak for any other disability organization and or any other disability group about how they want to be referred to as. But we typically, we, we like to use that, uh, we say a person with Down syndrome. Um, that is kind of how we refer to the community you know, there's misconceptions about like whether it's down, like Down's syndrome, which is not how we refer to it in the U.S. It's just Down syndrome. And yeah, 
because we want to ensure that we're, you know, as Charlotte mentioned, you know, disability is a part of her identity and that's, you know, that's great. And, you know, but some people, you know, some people prefer to use person first language while others, maybe they don't prefer to use, they prefer to use disability first language. So just one thing that we kind of talked about that I, w- I would have liked, I'd like to highlight as well. But. And could you explain what you mean by person first? Um, so, yeah, just referring to, you know, um, an individual as a person before their disability. So okay. Charlotte is a woman with Down syndrome. You know, mm-hmm. uh, she's not a, Charlotte is not a Down syndrome person. Um, right. Yeah. That's so uh, we refer to her as an individual um, in, in herself rather than what her disability is, because we see that, you know, disability doesn't always hold people with Down syndrome back. Right. It's all these laws that, you know, are these, these really old antiquated laws that are still kind of in place um, for people with Down syndrome that kind of prohibit them from, you know, maximizing their full potential. Mm-hmm. And I like to, um, I just want to uh, piggyback off of uh, what Nicole uh, uh, mentioned. It all comes down to, to uh, attitudes. It's, it, uh, it's not just uh, uh, paper and pencil uh, laws. Uh, you uh, uh, you can write a bill and pass a law, but if you change people's attitudes and values and beliefs and norms, um, uh, that law won't mean much, and and that is a part of what uh, Denise uh, Shira uh, uh, Jacobson had said in the acclaimed. Netflix movie, uh, Crip Camp, which I urge you, uh, uh, Sunil, and whoever else is on this uh, a call to uh, really watch. It was interesting when both of you were speaking about being judged as individuals. I thought, isn't that what everyone wants to be judged as an individual in their full selves, all of those things, and not have folks tag a certain characteristic and feel that that's the definition of a human being. Right. Yeah. And, and if you don't mind me adding on to what Charlotte said, um, yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, you know, every individual with Down syndrome is different. They have different expectations. They have different, uh, realities that they live, um, just like everybody else, right? The, every, <laughs> every person has a different reality and lived experience. Um, you know, so take each in, you know, we need to stop uh, basing assumptions of people based off of their disability. Um, just because, you know, you may see them, you, you know, you may see that, you know, Charlotte has a disability or you may see that somebody in a wheelchair has a disability. We need to stop um, putting limitations on these individuals. Um, we need to, again, you know, see them for who they are. We need to um, talk to them about their lived experience and we need to uh, make sure that we're basing, you know, things that we do based off of what they need and what they want rather than what we assume. Um, because yeah, once you start assuming and, you know, you put, um, low expectations on people, that's kind of how we continue to get into this mindset of, you know, reinforcing what already exists and re- like, you know, um, instead of growing and doing new things to enhance public policy solutions, we kind of get stuck in this, should we, or shouldn't we do, you know, something. So yeah, it's not just, it's an expectation, but it's a limitation. And as we've seen, when you take off those limits, everything and anything is possible 
not just for the individual, but for society. Uh, look how much society has benefited uh, when we are more inclusive, which is, uh, I think, a really good lesson to learn for all of us at this 32nd anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, so this has been an amazing conversation, and I think our listeners at Equal Time have learned so much. So thank you, Nicole Patton and Charlotte Woodward, for coming on to Equal Time and, I think, educating our listeners. Yes. Thank you so much, Mary, for having us again. This has been great. And thank you, too. So, what's keeping me up at night? On a personal note, my mother-in-law recently passed away at the age of 100. She lived a long and amazing life. A world traveler, time spent working for a global shipping business, as well as as a New York social worker. And during World War II, she served in the Women's Coast Guard. An honor guard honored her with grace and dignity at the funeral. I thought of everything she saw in her century of life, of the social movements and wars that roiled our country, of the progress and the times it looked as though this great experiment in representative governance was lost. And I thought of today's fractious, divisive times, of the hopelessness some feel when political opponents are painted not just as misguided or wrong, but as evil incarnate. What to do and how to deal with it. Perhaps by taking a lesson from the long arc of a life that didn't just observe, but worked toward positive change. And let me know what's keeping you up. Fill me in with a tweet at mcurtisnc3. I want to thank the Fiscal Note Executive Institute for their partnership and support of today's programming. They provide a community for senior executives at global companies across industries to come together to discuss top issues affecting organizations, including diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and accessibility. To learn more about their efforts, visit executiveinstitute.fiscalnote.com. And I want to thank you for listening to Equal Time. Please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.